Thanks for tuning in to the Writers of Color Reading Series, a podcast presented by the Englert Theater and hosted by me, Chuy Rentería. It was rainy. The sky was dark like the bottom of a well-used walk. A June morning was supposed to be bright. Homey was not in the guest room we shared, a spacious room on the second floor of Auntie Wang's house, with two beds, comfortable couches, a coffee table, two dressers, and a TV. I left the room and went downstairs looking for Homey. She was nowhere to be seen, nor was anyone else. Was there a plan to do something this morning that I missed? I stepped into the courtyard. The rain looked like a drizzle, but drenched me immediately, as if it were a downpour. Before I could call out, Homei, where are you? A thin but strong arm grabbed me and pulled me under the eaves. You catch a cold if you get soaked, Auntie Wang said. Come with me. I followed her as if drawn by an invisible thread. The surprising strength then pulled me out of the rain, carried me along. Where is everyone? I asked. In the days, she didn't answer. We entered what I assumed was her room and the back of the first floor. In the dim light of a bedside lamp, I saw that the room was sparsely furnished. A narrow bed, a nightstand, a small desk, two chairs, and an old-fashioned wooden trunk. Sit down, Auntie Wang said, and she sat on one of the chairs. I sat on the bed. It was hard not at all like the beds with mattresses upstairs in the guest bedroom. I have been waiting for you, my dear, she whispered slowly in her cloud gate dialect, but I had no trouble hearing and understanding her. I didn't know it would be you until I saw you. You came to me yesterday and I thought Iris was back. Your great grandma she was. It was like the first time I saw her when I was only a little girl in the village. Everything about you, your face, your voice, the way you walked, reminded me of her. I knew right away you were the one I had been waiting for. I didn't know how to respond to that, but somehow I knew that she wasn't expecting a response either. I remained silent. Iris was the one left of her siblings in the time I met her. She and my father-in-law, the old tiger, were the only ones left of that generation. Tiger was not her brother, but they both told us, me and my husband, that they were like brother and sister, and the Han and the Wang families were one family, and we must always look after each other. We went all the way back to Iris's mother, your great-great-grandma Puny, and Tiger's mother, Arme. When Puny left Cloud Gate and married into the Han family in Three Rivers, Arme went with her. Later, they each lost the child. The room was so quiet. I could hear our breathing and the muffled sounds of rain. This is it, I said to myself. Don't make any sound. You're about to be led into the world you're looking for. Don't interrupt. Auntie's small frame was right in front of me, but her voice seemed to drift in from a faraway place. I have no memory of Puny or Ame. But I remember Iris vividly. When Iris came to the village, she often had her daughter, your grandma Pearl, with her. 
Pearl and I played together and became best friends. I think that was the reason Iris wanted me to be married into the Wang family. She liked me a lot. My parents were poor and they were more than happy for me to be married to a son of the Wangs. Everyone knew how the Wang family was connected to the Han family and how both families were kind despite their wealth and fortune. My parents knew that I would never have to worry about putting food on the table and having clothes on my back. Now everyone else is long gone. I might have taken all of the memories with me to the grave too, but you are here. I can go now. After a long silence, I whispered, Auntie Wang, Grandma Pearl appeared in my dream and asked me to look for her grandma. Auntie Wang nodded. Pearl told me that Iris made her promise that the children of the Han family would never forget Puny. On her deathbed, Iris said that she had forgiven her mother for abandoning her family. It's too late for me, Iris said to Pearl. I visited the temple when mother entered it, but never again. I'm grateful to Tiger who kept going in my place all these years. But the Han family needs to know about my mother. When it's time to visit, you go and tell Daisy and Lily and their children so. Auntie Wang fixed her gaze on me. Now you're here like Iris herself is here. You will all go and find her mother. The key is in my sewing basket. Then the lights in her eyes flickered like that of a candle and she closed her eyes. What? Why do we have to find Puny and where? What happened between her and Iris? She shook her head, eyes still closed. I sat there trying to remember everything she said and decipher the meaning of it all. Then I too drifted into sleep. You just heard a reading by Shishwin Collins. Pen name X H Collins was born in Huchuan, China, and grew up in Kanding on the East Tibet Plateau. Flowing Water, Falling Flowers is her first novel, which she just read from. Uh, she lives in Iowa with her husband, son, and dog. To learn more about her and her work, visit her website at xhcollins.com. Uh, Shishwin, it is a is a pleasure to have you and to get to talk to you. How are you today? Pretty good. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast. Before we get into a little bit about yourself, I always say like your your journey like to writing, but for you, it's also like a, a physically journey yes. right? as being like an, an, a first generation immigrant to America. But before we get into that, could you talk a little bit about the excerpt that you read and what the if the reader isn't familiar with the overarching story, if you can give a little bit about um, your debut novel. Sure. For a lot novel, I, I thought it's always really hard to choose what to read. You know, it's poems or um, essays. I, I just thought it's so, so much nicer to read and to, to hear it. And so for a novel, I decided to choose a part of this book. It's I think it's part of chapter 17 which uh, is an intersection between the current storyline of the book and past the storyline of the book. So 
Falling Water, uh, Falling Flowers has two storylines. Uh, a past storyline that was at the beginning, set at the beginning of last century uh, in China. And then the contemporary storyline is um, about this Asian American, Chinese American um, woman that went back to China for a visit. Um, so in this uh, excerpt that I just read, um, this woman went to meet a hundred year old woman the last one of the that generation and then there's a story of this intersection between the past and, and present and that's why i decided it's a a short enough uh, uh excerpt to to read mm-hmm. yeah and it, it it's fascinating to me because I, i've talked i've talked to a lot of people throughout this series so far and a, a common theme that i'm seeing is this kind of this like this this exploration of, of time through generations. And there's there's a little bit of, um, I don't know, I think there's an extra awareness of that because there's physical distance between our generations, right? Like if I think about my grandparents and where they're from, it's literally like I have to do, a, a, we have to do like a, you know, 24, 18 hour car drive to get to Mexico, right? So I, I totally see that the parallels in that. So just like, I'm sure, for for me and a lot of other writers there's there's lots you have to pull from your own personal experience and you have to you know write about what you know and in in your bio you you talked about in your little pre-interview you talked about like how you are a first generation immigrant and you came here are you uh uh was it 1997 yeah 97 yeah i remember it was january 2nd so oh, right no. at the beginning yes and did you come straight to Iowa? Or? So I, I came to Chicago. So I arrived in Chicago. Um, and then from Chicago, I think I took another plane to Des Moines. Um, and then um, a friend of mine picked me up. So what what brought you to the Midwest? So I, um, I had a, a master's degree in biology because I've always been in this uh, science field. Um, but I wanted to uh, advance my study. So I said, if I would, wanted to get into a PhD program, I could go to somewhere in China, but I could also go a uh, faraway place. So I looked at the universities here in uh, US and um, followed the money, basically, uh, where you got scholarship and you got assistantship. So I applied a, a couple of places and Iowa State gave me um, like a full ride with assistantship. Nice. Yeah. Even just that, like your story, your your journey is like I don't know. I'm I'm trying to think of just like a general listener, and when they think of like an immigrant, like I think they always have, uh, not always, but I mean a lot of times I think there's this prevailing story of like you're like I'm thinking speaking personally, it's like for for Mexican Americans or like Central Americans, it's like oh they're come they come from this this type of background or they they need these type of opportunities. But it's good to like talk about your story where you're just like you know I got scholarships I like you know yeah all this knowledge yeah. and and it, I was able to utilize it here which I think it, it can get lost in the shuffle you know it, it, like, it can yeah mm-hmm, I, I think um there's so many different immigrant stories right like um, it's it's easy to have a box, just put it in the box and pigeonhole into a particular type of story without really understand how broad our experiences can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it's like none of us are a monolith, and and one of the things that I like to do is like see how things are universal and see how like you know like see how we can relate, but also a lot of it's just like 
it's so like we're all so unique and different too so yes. i think it's it's good to like talk to you about that that brings up another thing because in like talking about your journey like literally you said like up until i'm going to read it here up until last may i was a biology professor at black hawk college now i'm a full-time writer and stay-at-home mm-hmm. mom yeah could you, could you talk a little bit about that yeah like like, like what was there a moment where you're just like I have to jump. I like I I'm going to be like a full-time writer. Like I'm, yes. I imagine that must be like scary. You know? It is it is very very scary. So, uh, like I mentioned I've always uh, my background is in biology, you know, and uh, I got into that because my parents said, you know, you need to to find a profession and you can pay the bills, right? Like in any culture, I think that's one of the main concerns the parents will have. You know, you want to go into arts and writing, how are you going to pay pay your bills, right? Um, so I, I've always been in the science track and I got here, I got my degree and I, I actually also worked at University of Iowa for postdoctorate research. So when people say, were you cyclone or Hawkeye, I'm like kind of both, you know, <laughs> because I've been to this, both places. And then I moved to Quad Cities uh, because my husband uh, works here and I found the job in Blackhawk College. So I've been teaching for uh, 17 years, like I, I mentioned earlier. Um, I actually took uh, unpaid leave last year because I I knew that my book was coming out in October and I need to do some promotion. And my son, um, who has special needs and he's um, autistic, um, is entering uh, fifth grade. And I I think is the requirement of social interaction, just in general, the stress of school is a little higher for him. And I really want to be there for him, like a hundred percent. You know. Um, if anyone who's been a teacher, you kind of know that you you just you don't leave your job when you come home, right? You come home, you do your grading, you do your preparation, and so I said, um, well, both things together, um, uh, promoting my book. Um, do I just quit? And uh, some of my friends said, you know, why don't you just try out? You know, you try out um, based on our contract, and you have an unpaid leave for like a year up to a year and try out to see if this works you know what if your son actually doesn't need you you know he's in school most of the time you know he doesn't need you to be there for uh uh time um at home you know you know why don't you just try it so i said that's a great idea so i and i applied for a leave uh november of 19 and got approved february of 2020 so before pandemic actually started and it just the timing, I, I could not have planned it, but it worked out because I we never uh, went back to school after spring break last year. Uh, I taught online at home. Um, my son also never went back to school after a spring break and he was doing homeschooling. And I said, I do not know how I would I be able to survive without being actually home. So in the fall, I start my leave and he's home doing uh, hybrid schooling. And that really worked out. And so after this one year, um, I said, you know what, um, financially, I mean, I talked to my husband and I think that's a big um, commitment to think that, you know, my income is not there. My insurance is not there. You know, how am I going to manage this? Uh, on the other hand, um, with just being home, you know, no driving across the river every day or a couple of times a day sometimes, you know, um, all of this uh, factor in, I we decided that. I think it's the best for for the family. Um, when Ari is in school, my son is at school. I can do writing, but I can drop it anytime. Not a regular job as a mom, you really can't do that. And 
with this uncertainty about pan- pandemic, you know, I, we know that, you know, we're getting better and hopefully that's our hope, right? But you never know. But if I stay home and if school shuts down again, I he has to be home and I'll be here. So I kind of feel like I'm part of the statistics where you, you hear moms leave their jobs, women, because of the pandemic. I mean, I'm not really like forced to do that, but in a way, pandemic really is that catalyst to to my decision of just say, you know what, I'll stay home, deal with the pandemic and do the writing on the side. And that's how we made the decision. Yeah. Oh, there's, there's so much there that, that uh, it, it makes me think about how, you know, if we get to, when we get to this other, the other side of all this and like, you know, we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. I, I got my, I'm like a week away from my, um, having had my second vaccine yes. like a week ago, you know, and it's kind yes. of like, all of a sudden it's like this weight lifted, mm-hmm. you know, but it's like, you hope that we as a society can look at some of these things that we've just been doing without really thinking about, you know, or, or, you know, I think people in positions of power have been using it for their own yes. benefit. The yes. idea of this like 40 hour work week, like this commute Absolutely. time that we all been doing. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, yeah. Especially as writers. And it makes me, I, I, you know, like, like I've, uh, I've mentioned on this um, show before, like I have a baby on the way, a baby girl in oh, July. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank okay. you. I'm so excited. I and, know. That's <laughs> and, and, you know, if, if we would have had my, if my wife and I would have had this baby a year, two years ago, it would have been completely different than, than, you know, having her come in July because now it's all like, we're talking about leave and we're talking about, you know, who's going to stay at home, but it's, also yes. like, it, you know, like the, the, I don't think, I mean, like, just to kind of get into like how the sausage is made, like at the University of Iowa, we ha- we were having lots of internal discussions by HR about like, do you want to go back to the way things were? And I think every like, it's like ninety percent everybody's like, no, let's do like a hybrid. Let's 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 really rethink really about- think about it exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. how it's going to work. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that also makes me think about because I'm in a, a very similar boat where I think I'm in this transition period, and I, I bet you a lot of people who I've talked to were were all in these periods of like do I have the capacity to be a full-time writer? You know, what does that even mean in this day and age? Right. And, and, and like you said, it's like, you have to talk about money. You have to talk about insurance. You have to talk about like, are you going to be able to do your day-to-day activities in, in a way that is sustainable, which I think for like general listeners or people, when they think of writers, they don't really think about that a lot like (laughs) when I think when I tell people like oh yeah I got a book deal a couple years ago they're like oh like how much money did you get from it like no that's (laughs) exactly that's right yeah yeah at least for at least for like me at least for like us no no not yeah (laughs) it's definitely true yes yeah so like if I don't have a a partner you know then it's very supportive and you know um it's not gonna work you know I can't imagine because I'm yeah, it's not, you're not in this for making money, for sure. I mean, it's, it would be nice if the society recognized, you know, creative writing, arts, or especially during pandemic, right? If you don't have books to read, you don't have TV to watch, you don't have all these arts and entertainment just to keep you going. I mean, well, hopefully we realize how important those things are for us too. Yeah, right. You you answered one of our uh, pre-interview questions about, you know, like, what would you like to talk about? Or is there anything that um, really speaks to you? But you said this idea of you don't want to perpetuate, like, stereotypes of Chinese people, especially, like, Chinese women. 
And if you can like kind of elaborate on that, because I, I feel that so much. Yes. Yeah. So I actually was trying to look at the, the Asian population in Iowa, for example. Right. So like, like according to Iowa data center right now, 2.7% of Iowa population is actually Asian and then projected to be 5.8% in 2050. So just on average, I think for an uh, Iowa person probably has not, other than that lady in the Chinese restaurant, right? Like you haven't really seen a lot of Chinese people. And, and there's actually quite a few of my readers had told me that the last book about China they, they read before my book is The Good Earth by Pearl S. Bach. Like they haven't read, and that was written in 1930s, right? So. So it was just really interesting to hear this. And then, of course, uh, um, right now, there's a lot of discussion about um, anti-Asian racism. And one of the main idea about this racism is the stereotype of Asian uh, uh, people, right? So like for men, they you either it's a sinister oriental that's a sexual threat to people or the Chinese servant that's asexual. And for women, you either be the dragon lady that's sexual and dangerous or the lotus blossom that's sexual and submissive and there's like no other um type so what i really wanted to write is they're just people right i mean you you talk about the universality and uh, what we share as people in common um you know even for chinese women uh, in the last century where uh the the society the environment is very repressive for them but they have agency. They they did what they, their best they can. They some of them got education, and they, you know, they they make the best of the situation like any of us would do. Um, so it's not like they just have these two boxes you can put them in. So that's one of the main things I want to to write. I mean, right now I mostly write about a historical novel of stuff that happened in China. But eventually, I I probably would write my experience here in the U.S. So. I just wanted to show people, you know, here are the people, they have different culture, um, but they're not just this two type of uh, stereotype that you you have. So I wanted to show their agency. I wanted to show how complex uh, their life can be, the choices they can make and, you know, everything that they do as friends and mothers and daughters and grandmas. And that's really my interest is. Yeah, I, I like, I, I, jumped at that when I when I saw that answer that you gave because for me it's it, it's something I, I struggle with like while I was writing some of my own stuff that was kind, kind of in in the back of my head and I like writing this memoir that I just wrote like I talk about my mom and my sister and all these like a lot of times there's like the, the women in my life right and I had to think about like how does it uh like play against the stereotypes but also there's parts of it where I'm like, these are the, these, like, my mom is a fiery mom, right? Like she like, do you, like there's the the joke in, in like Mexican culture about like the chancla, the sandal, that like the Mexican mm -hmm. moms hit you with. And I'm oh like, my God, <laughs> like in, in the, in that movie, my, one of my, my son's favorite movie, the, the boy then plays the guitar. Oh, Coco. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's the grandma, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so it's like this constant, and I talk about it a lot in, in, in the book that's coming out where it's like, it's like, I, there's yes that there's like kernels of truth but also like if you're gonna get like you're like you're saying like I, i'm trying to give the people the women specifically in my life like agency right and and to, to show people that it's like it's not just that it's not just the jokes and the memes and yeah yeah 
as we come to the end of our time, I know you you're working on a, a, a second project. Is that correct? I don't know. how. Yes. That, yeah. If, I've actually finished the first draft and I'm doing the revision now and I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Cool. Well, we're, we're at the end of the time. If there's anything else you want to like plug or if the audience should, should know about, uh, you know, any social media. Oh yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Plug in. So meet with writing center is what I wanted to plug in. I just heard, uh, Sarah and Ryan on your program uh, last week, I think. And, uh, my book is published through their press and I really started with them. Um, you know, my very first story I sent to anyone was enter one of their contests. And then I sort of take workshops with them and I met a lot of friends. So that's, they're such a really good resource, not just for the quad cities, but it's called Midwest Writing Center. So I encourage people to check them out and check out their, the workshops. And they always have really, really great instructors. You know, a lot of them are from Iowa city actually. Um, and compared to other workshops that I think the, just the, you know, they talk about the money's worth, you know, the the uh, value versus the cost. And it's just really awesome. Meaning they're not that expensive compared to a lot of this other conferences or workshops you can attend, but quality is really good. So I, that's my plugin. I want people to check them out and give them their support and yeah, do their programs. Yeah, for sure. And I think probably by the time that this episode goes on air, they'll be gearing up for their, their big like summer uh, like yeah, conference. Yeah, summer yeah. Conference, so. I've I've attended that ever since I discovered them. As as long as I'm here in town, I always attended that conference. It's just so awesome. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, check it out if you're listening. Um, uh, Shishuan, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Shoei. Thanks for having me on. Shishwin Collins for joining us in the conversation. For today's prompt, something that Shishwin, and it's something of a running thread that I'm seeing a lot of in my conversations with different writers. And what I'm talking about is how Shishwin talked about up until last May, she was a biology professor at Black Hawk College, and now she's a full-time writer um, and stay-at-home mom. And just the, the, the amount of uh, uncertainty and and kind of like taking that plunge right and and doing something that you've always maybe wanted to do or I remember talking to other authors in this series and they said like there's this calling that's there and when are you going to answer it right so I think that's a beautiful uh prompt for us to all think about so the prompt is write about something you've put off doing for a long time it can be something big or something small what happens when you entertain the thought of doing it right now is there anxieties excitement you know just live in that moment for a little bit what happens if you think of whatever else there is for you again you can respond to it however you feel um maybe one way to do it is just free write right set like a timer for five minutes and just kind of keep on writing um whatever it is if you do feel good about it you can send us at podcast at englert.org and we'd love to hear about it um, until then see you next time Thank you.
Support for this podcast comes from Friends of the Inglert. To learn more, visit inglert.org slash friends. Ongoing support provided by the National Endowment for the Arts and the Iowa Arts Council, a division of the Iowa Department of Cultural Affairs and by the United States Regional Arts Resilience Fund. Phase One is an initiative of Arts Midwest and its peers in United States Regional Arts and Organizations, made possible by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. Thank you.